You're listening to The Jill Monaco Show, episode number 29. Welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill. Each week, I hope to bring you a message that inspires, encourages, or challenges you to go after and live a life you love. Join me and my friends as we explore what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Jill Monaco Show. My guest today is Lena Abujamra. We attended the same church years ago, and I can't wait for you to hear how she uses her gifts to serve God to the fullest. Seriously, this woman is one of my favorite people in the world, and you're really going to get so much out of this podcast today. She is also a pediatric ER doctor and founder of Living with Power Ministries. Her vision is to bring hope to the world by connecting biblical answers to everyday life. Lena has authored several books, including Thrive, Stripped, and Resolved. You can listen to Lena's podcast on iTunes and watch her inspiring thousands via her Faith Booster series and other Bible teachings on her YouTube channel. Lena is also the host of Today's Single Christian on Moody Radio and the host of Morning Minutes, a daily audio devotional available on her website and I think also on her app. Lena's most recent adventure has taken her back to the Middle East and to her birth country of Lebanon, where she is providing regular medical care for Syrian refugees. She was born in Beirut, Beirut, I think that's how you say it, and uh, Lena now calls Chicago home. I want you to get to know this powerful lady. She will definitely inspire you to live life to the fullest. So please welcome my friend, Lena. Hey, girl. Hey, how are you? You wore me out. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all it's all stuff you do. You do so much amazing things. Well, it's uh, I mean, there's a there's a rhythm to the madness. <laughs> <laughs> We've definitely talked about that. You know, sometimes people see everything that you do and they don't realize it didn't all happen at once, <laughs> right? Correct. Yeah, and and there's it really is a certain rhythm. Like it's funny, right before I got on this podcast, I've, I'm now in the middle of recording an uh, audio series for the devotional that'll run in the fall. And so not yeah. everything happens all at once. I do think it's important to mention that because it can be a little mm-hmm. like, well, this is crazy, but God just has a way of working things out yeah. to fit also our personalities. I found that to be so much fun to watch. Like I would hate to do what somebody else might be doing. Somebody else might absolutely hate my life, but God knows what each of us needs. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's cool. You know, I'm glad you said that because I remember, you have no idea, I've never told you the story, but there was a time that I was praying about my ministry and what God wanted me to do. And, you know, I can easily look at you. You've written books, you've got, you do biblical teaching, whether it's through your podcast Mm -hmm. or video. And I remember saying to the Lord, and it wasn't a competitive thing. It was more of a, God, am I really doing enough for you? Like mm-hmm. Lena, Lena's teaching, and she's so good at it. And but you've called me to speak, and I'm I'm not doing that. And God was so sweet. What I heard in response was, Jill, she's a teacher. I've that flows from her. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm a speaker, I'm not necessarily as I don't think I've been as developed as a Bible teacher at this point. And so it doesn't flow from me as easily. And it's a little more work. And the Lord was so sweet because he helped me be so proud of you and also Mm. realize, oh, that he didn't wire me like that. And that's totally okay. Well, and it's huge when I'm, I love hearing that too. It's, it's even a encouragement to me. I mean, for two reasons. Number one, I mean, 
nobody ever feels like they're doing enough with Christ. Like we all know how much mm-hmm. He's done for us, and He's put in every Christian, I think, this desire to serve Him, and so. I look at other people and think, man, God, am I doing enough? Like, I want to do more for you, like, right? And I just want to make the most of every second until heaven, right? And and of yeah. course, sometimes there's personal, you know, like motives, and God's always purifying them. And really, then right. there's this release of we're not about works for Him, but just enjoying Him. It's all of these struggles that happen. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. um, I think this reminder, like, we, it's a gift. Like, God gives gifts, and I don't know yeah. how He does it. And and you're right, we can compare us our story to someone else. But really, they have a completely different gifting. And so mm-hmm. what they're doing might, might be great for them, and it might not be great for us. And so God knows it. And it's just humbling, yeah. though, to have to be like, I was always, I feel like I'm always going back to God and being like, all right, Lord, you win. You're right, and I'm wrong. I'll do what you want. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, it is fun to see that all unfold. Totally. And I think as long as, like for me anyway, as long as I'm spending time with him and whatever mm-hmm. he inspires mm-hmm. me to do and I do it, he's pleased mm-hmm. with me. Correct. He's not disappointed. Yeah, my mom is one of the godliest women women I know, and I think about that. I mean, we've had. I I would ask her questions. Like I sometimes would be like, when I was frustrated and be wrestling through things, be like, Mom, did you ever feel bad that you haven't won as many people to the Lord like Beth Moore? You know, whoever I'd be (laughs) picking on her, and and my mom is just like that model of. A Christian. I mean, on the outside, you might think she doesn't do much now. I mean, she's seventy-eight. Granted, I mean, she used to have an immensely busy life before, but and yet her fellowship and intimacy with the Lord, I guarantee you, is far above mine. Far mm-hmm. above mine. And so it's a constant sort of in my face sort of picture of you don't have to be doing a lot to be really close with Jesus, and that's yeah. that feels so encouraging. Yeah, because at the end of this whole thing, the only thing that matters is our. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have just loved amen. God and love people. Amen. Like, amen. It's so simple. Isn't so that? I mean, yeah. when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he's like, amen. it's just love. It's, it wasn't get more Facebook followers or, right. you know, make sure you write 10 books before you die. And, but if that's what God's put on your heart, that's fine too. <laughs> right. right. But there isn't a formula, you know, um, tell us a little, did I say, how do we say where you're from in Lebanon? I, for some reason, I'm Beirut. Gonna, yeah, Beirut. I'm, okay. Right. Right. And it's um, good, actually. Okay, thank <laughs> you. Good, yeah. <laughs> um, so, how old were you when you came over to the United States? Right. My story in a nutshell. So, I grew up in Beirut. My parents were Lebanese. My mom actually is Palestinian. She came as a refugee, uh, believe it or not, back mm. in the 40s. They landed in Lebanon. But I grew up kind of assuming both my parents were Lebanese. I mean, they had been there their whole life. You know, my dad is from South Lebanon. And, a town that you can't even find on Google Maps, right? But mm. he ended up in Beirut, and by God's grace, um, his uncle had emigrated to the U.S. and supported his education. My dad had, they had no money to educate him, and so somehow mm. he, they saw that he had a brain, and, and so they poured into it. This uncle had a vision for his life, and my dad ended up becoming a plastic surgeon, which is a, just a great miracle. And wow. uh, he lived, yeah, he married my mom. They lived in Beirut, had us, and my mom started the journey to faith. We grew up going to a Bible-believing church. My dad later came to faith, and about four years after he did, God finally brought our family to the U.S., and I was a senior in high school. I was actually young as a senior, so I came after I turned 15, okay. and uh, and we moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin, of all places, so pretty mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so after you were here, you became a doctor, so how soon did you know yeah. that's what you wanted to do? You know, there's... I don't know. It's because it's sort of a process. One of the advantages, I think, of growing up in a in a country outside of the United States is 
Well, it's sort of really bad or really good, right? The really bad part is there's a there's no American dream outside of the United States. So that if you're born in a poor home with no resources, like unless there's a story like my dad and his uncle, it's truly a divine thing. You never get really educated. So you sort of never are able to break out of your zone. You know, this is something that's unique to America, which is why a lot of people want to be in the United States, because you can do it more and, and you can become something that you might never have a chance to do other places. But but the other side, the good side of growing outside of the growing up outside of the United States is that if you do have resources or privilege or whatever you want to call it, you are given and expected to do a lot. And so, mm. so you'll notice the Indian cultures like the Lebanese culture, you know, they have mm. that, that education is very valued and very encouraged and very, because we didn't do sports like we did school. So, so mm-hmm. we so grew, grew up with this notion that we would do something that involved at least college, but really the respectable thing was post-college, like grad school of some kind. And so being in a doctor's home, I mean, certainly my mom was a pharmacist too. So the medical world was there. And my dad, he probably wanted all of us to be doctors. <laughs> my brother became a dentist and my sister's a physical therapist. My brother's an actuary. So everybody's a bit in the medical field, but honestly, he probably would have preferred that we were all doctors. He was sort of very black and white and, you know, he loved medicine and one of those old-time doctors that genuinely loved the process of medicine. But for me, it was like, it was good in school. And I think it was one of those pragmatic decisions. I went to college, wasn't sure what I would do and, you know, and taunted my dad. I'd be like, I'm going to be a movie major, you know, just make up these things. And (laughs) I was like, that was the struggle I put him through. And then I, I, I did, I started pre-med. I figured, well, I can always go to something easier after. And so it was a very much that sort of decision. And, uh, I uh, basically ended up um, doing well. And then the Lord just really opened the door to med school. But my calling in ministry didn't come to a good like 15 years after that. And uh, mm-hmm. I never saw that coming, to be honest. Well, and when I knew you, um, you weren't on staff. I was on staff at Harvest. You were attending and serving. And then after I left, you ended up being the director of women's ministries. Yeah, you know, that um, is funny how that worked out. That was sort of random. Um, I initially, so I when I was in my fellowships, I was becoming a pediatric emergency room uh, doctor is when the Lord did a work in my heart and called me to ministry. And it was a very, very strong, what I thought was a vocational call, which just meant like, you know, as a doctor, I felt like he had called me to teach the Bible. And, and, yeah. and there was a lot of things that happened that, that fed into that. But when I um, came to Chicago soon after that, I sort of, I guess, you know, in, in a sense, you, you give your life to the Lord and you sort of expect things, okay, the, you, you see the struggle happening until you say yes to whatever he's asking you to do. And then you sort of think things are, things are going to be easier. And the opposite happens. <laughs> you start right. this road in the, it's like he gets you out of Egypt and you, you go into the wilderness and you're like, why am I in the wilderness? And so <laughs> I hit this really big wilderness when I came to Chicago. I really didn't want to come to Chicago necessarily. I was happy where I was in Florida and I, my church experience was amazing. And I, I, that was where I was teaching the word. God was growing the ministry, but, but there were no doors open to do the medical thing that I had trained for. And, it, and in mm-hmm. a series of just complete God, you know, moments, I ended up in Chicago, but, but my first first two or three years in Chicago were really hard, hard in every way. God just started, Mm -hmm. I wrote, my second book was called Stripped. And really it's because that it's about that season where the Mm -hmm. subtitle is when God's call turns from yes to why me. Mm -hmm. And literally I went from this like, like amazing experience of doing this, seeing God call me to ministry, growing this thing that he was creating and then put me in this like desert. And I just was like, how did it, what happened? And so 
he, he got me to a place to surrender. I mean, the whole point of being stripped is to get to surrender and just to see God in a deeper way. I mean, he's just drawing you closer yeah. to him. And, and, and by God's grace, I did get, you know, he walked me through that. And, and so I landed in that season towards the end of the difficult season. I landed at Harvest where we were at the church and, uh, and by then, you know, I started getting pre-involved in church. I was doing a lot more teaching. And so there was sort of like this fruitfulness that was starting to happen. But, but I, hadn't, I didn't have the job formally. And then I, mm-hmm. I, I, God really stre- stretched me to make a change in my practice. I was in academic medicine at the Children's Memorial Hospital at the time in Lincoln Park, a very prestigious sort of position. And it was sort of unheard of that I would, you know, like it was, like that I wanted to leave there to go to a community hospital so that I could do ministry. Like, yeah. I'm sure people were like, <laughs> she's crazy. And I did. I left, you know, the job and I went and took this other job. It was a great job. And it gave me a lot more time. And, mm. and when I made that change, I, I really felt God's prompting. And I believe God really does speak to us through a number of different ways. And, and, and often it starts with this, you know, sense of like, like a, a, almost a restlessness. And, and as I prayed and leaned into it, it's, it's time. And so you take a step of faith. And I remember taking that job and, and which again, looked worse on paper than my original job, but, but still was a, was a job I actually loved. And I, it was a perfect fit for me. Uh, but, but when I went there, my, my heart wasn't just to be a community doctor. My, my heart was God, you've called me to more ministry. So now I'm, yeah. I take this step of faith and, and nothing changes. Like, I'm just like, for the first six months, I was like, what in the world? I, did you move me here just to do this? Like, <laughs> did I, you know, am I missing something here? And yet God, you know, was just so faithful. And at the time, it was like it's just a six-month period, which in hindsight was just a short period. And it was at the end of those six months of waiting and trusting that he gave me um, that job at, uh, as a women's ministry director, which really helped shape and propel my life in my own personal ministry. Uh, the reason I bring, I, I mentioned that sort of season of waiting uh, is because, you know, uh, I'm going through it now where God has, a year ago, I took a step of faith to, I actually stepped away from the ER to do telemedicine. And partly is that, I felt like God was just moving in my heart to a, to a different transition of, of season and ministry and, and what I'm expecting him to do more in ministry. And yet it's been like a year of waiting. And I've had a lot of rejections in ministry this last year. And I think my initial knee-jerk response is to feel disappointment with God and to be like, God, really? Like after all this time, but I'm reminded more and more in the last few weeks, God is really sort of bringing me to a place of stability and of confidence. And I think it's a confidence knowing, look, this is how God works. He, he, he pushes you to obey him and then he tests you in that place of, of mm-hmm. obedience. Will you stay faith? You know, will you, will you believe that he is good? Will you trust him, even though it doesn't make sense? And I think I'm living that right now. So I'm anxious to see, mm-hmm. anxious in a good way, not worried, but looking forward to see how God is going to bring this season to the next, to where he, you know, what he's, I believe in my heart. Hey, it wasn't my idea to, to make that change. It's been, it's been very healthy for me in many ways, but it's also been a testing of my faith. And, and I'm praying that God will help me to stay faithful. Yeah. I remember last time we had lunch, we were talking about this shift that you made from being in the ER to doing what you call telemedicine, just so the audience understands. That's where you're doing medicine by the phone. And yeah. and people call and it's through their, their provider or um, through Christian healthcare kind of um, platforms. Yeah. And um, But it's also given you more free time to be able to speak when you need to, if you've been yeah. called to another church or do some of the um, medical care for the Syrian refugees. Um, but yeah. it is, it's a, the, every transition I find, um, it does have that kind of like leaving Egypt, leaving everything you know that is secure because it's bondage, but we don't even know we're in bondage. And then you get put into, with promises of a promised land, 
then you go yeah. to that uh, that wilderness. Yeah. And um and I th- I'm so grateful that God put that story in scripture <laughs> because because oh, yeah. we're yeah, always in some sort story, of transition. Right? It's like yeah. the entire story of the Old Testament. I mean, it's not just a side story. It's the essence of how you grow. Yeah. And you, we just yes. keep missing it. Just, but honestly, yeah, it's, and the beauty of it, I mean, like, like it's interesting because you, um, like, you sort of, I don't know, like, in it, even once you sort of get to this place of rest, and, and listen, I'm not a quick, like, wake up in the morning, oh, all's good. Like, I really wrestle for rest. Right? <laughs> I, I want answers. I want, I want to be in control. It's like, the Christian life is the opposite of that. God's like, let go, let me drive. And so, you know, for me, like, it's been, it's, it's interesting, because once you get to that place, like, it's months into it, I finally understood, like, okay, God, I really, and, and the Lord gives you this grace of seeing that He's good, that He's faithful, that He's for you, not against you. All those things, you can say them, but then you can believe them. And yeah. in this last month, I feel like God has done a new work in me. Like, I'm restful and waiting. But I also think, like, like it's it's in it, there's also beauty. There's manna daily. Like, I've genuinely enjoyed, like, I cannot lie. I've been, I do not miss the ER. I genuinely love what I'm doing with telemedicine. Like, it's just been sort of a very fun change, but you know, beneath it all is this hope that I, mean, I didn't leave the ER to be a teledoctor. I left because I really believe God has something in ministry that he ha- he's yeah. developing and growing. And yeah, the freedom that I've had to pursue, even the, of course, that you mentioned the global stuff has been, I travel like to, to balance my schedule is almost incredible. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. uh, I, I think it's just been a gift. How do you think God, and what could you say to people that need that to know how to rest in him in this season? What, what encouragement could you give them? What have you learned? Um, well, hang on to God's promises. I went to, uh, I had a really cool experience with the Lord about a month ago. I was uh, really struggling, you know, and fighting, you know, just kind of trying to wrestle with a lot of this. And, uh, and I went to church to do a retreat. And it's funny, the song, one of, you know, there's a lot of songs you sing at church that are very common and then some that are not. And so the one I remember, and the third or fourth song into the morning before I got up to teach was an old hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up. It was Standing on the Promises of God. It's a totally like cheesy hymn, but it had that truth. And and I remember when we sang it, my heart just like sort of swelled in me. And I felt like God was like standing on the promises, standing on promises that will not fail, you know. And and, and then and then I thought, okay, that is really cool. I felt the moment sort of that you ever have that like you read a verse that sticks out and it was really awesome. Well then the next day I go to I finished the retreat. I um, that church I don't go there. My mom and I were up in the place where we were, and she goes to another church. So I went to the other church. I have no idea what you know. The two churches are not connected at all. Sunday morning worship, we sing hymn number one, two, whatever songs they had, worship songs. Third song, guess of all the songs, like this is not a common song, not a modern worship song. This is an old fashioned hymn of all the songs that we could have sang. Guess what the Lord gives us? Standing on the promises. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. My jaw just fell. Like I was like, and I'm going somewhere here because I'm encouraging people. This isn't a, just a cool God story. I think the principle was. Stand on the promises. Stand on the promises. Listen, this is how awesome this this thing was. About three, two weeks go by. Literally two weeks. I go to a conference, and I'm not invited to speak at this conference. I maybe wished I was. So I was wrestling with a lot of jealousy and and sort of just like I should, you know, why am I not like this self defeat, self pity? And I just was struggling to get into the worship and and this conference. Like again, there's there's random songs. There's the first two worship songs I didn't know, and I'm standing there sort of miserable. I was there with my friend and assistant <laughs> Irina, and I I, I, mean, I wouldn't even. Say I was just like, God, I can't do this. Why did I come? This is so bad. 
And listen to me, Jill. Third song, guess what they sing? Standing what? on the Promises. I started crying. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, the tears started falling down my face. And I thought, man, Lord, three times in three, two weeks. Like, this is quick. And a song that, who sings Standing on the Promises? Like, I don't remember the last time I sang it in church, other than yeah. that context. And why am I saying this? Because if you're listening, if you're in that place, this is all that God wants us to do. Stand on the promises. You're not believing your feelings. You're not believing the lies. You're not believing your circumstances. You're simply standing on God's promises. He has promised to take our difficulties and to turn them into good. He's promised to bear fruit, to use our the calling that God gives you is irrevocable. All of these promises that we know God mm-hmm. has given us, stand on them. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that's what I would encourage people to do. Oh, man. You know, I have, um, speaking of promises, What's funny is, just so everyone knows, we really didn't know what we were going to talk about today. So this is all really random and awesome. Like I wanted to ask her some questions and highlight who she is to you. But I love that we're talking about the promises of God. I have gone through, uh, years ago, I started highlighting all of the promises of God in the whole Bible Mm. in pink. And so I have a pink highlighter and I just highlight them all. So anytime I need to stand on a promise because you're just like in that pit of despair and you're like, ugh, like nothing seems to be working. You don't even know if God notices you. And I can flip open to anything and just find a promise and stand on it. Yeah, that's so. pretty awesome. I mean, I, and I think appropriating them in your time of need, like we all know some promises, but where I felt like I failed is. It, it, the time you need them is the time of pain. That's the time to yep. like, grab onto them and stand on them. And I think that's where we fell. We go, oh yeah, these are promises, and we give them to other people when they need it. But right. for us to grab a hold of them and live on them, and, and just just rest in hope, you know, just this, this mm-hmm. is God's word. This is what He promises. And looking back in your life experiences, I think sometimes can can reinforce how faithful God has been in the past and how faithful He'll be in the future. But I think you know, mm-hmm. I, I think. I think part of it is Satan doesn't want us to live out what God wants us to, and part of it is God just strengthening our faith. And so, however mm-hmm. it comes at you, just because you f- you question, you know, what's happening to me right now, doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. It just right. might mean that you need to trust the Lord more. Yeah, and what you said about um, gaining strength—it's kind of like working out. You know, you you exactly. lift a, you lift a little, and you get good at that, and then he gives you more, which is uncomfortable. And the trainer says, "Do you know <laughs> heavier weight?" And we complain about it and think we can't do it, but we can. And yeah. he does that to build our strength. Um, and it's not because he's mean. It's not because he has to test us because he's not sure we can do it. He knows we can. He's just helping us know we can too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you do, you make a lot of video devotionals, and I so encourage people to check that out on your YouTube channel. And I'll leave all the links to everything we talk about today in the show notes so they can find it. But how do you come up with what you're going to encourage people with in your videos? Yeah, there's, we have used media a lot. And, um, try to become, you know, focused in that. There's, so there's several things that I do. My, the heart of my ministry is biblical truth for everyday life. And people are like, you do so much. And I always remind them, really, I do one thing. I communicate mm-hmm. biblical truth in um, in practical ways for people to really, like even now I'm teaching a thing on Colossians. And I find that my style is, is very, like I'm teaching doctrine, but in a very practical application way. I just, I, I, I'm an ER doctor. So this is my personality. I take big concepts and try to bring them down to life. Here's why you should eat healthy. Here's how, you know, so it's not complicated. So then I just sort of, I think the Lord, I, have a, I love the Word of God, first of all. God has really put that in me. And so almost everything I teach is, is based out of the Word. I mean, even when people ask me to go to talks places, I don't do a talk on just 
sort of out of my mind. I usually find a text and the Lord has spoken to me. Like, as I've taught, that's the late, like people always say, well, God spoke to me and said this for me, the way he does it is through text. Like I'll have a retreat coming up and, and he'll really lay a passage of scripture on my heart. And that I can't say other than God just puts it there. And it's, it's just a knowledge. Like, I just know it, you know, and I know, Jill, you understand that you've taught a lot on that. And, and I don't have a formula for that. The text ends up directing the teaching. Same goes for like for in, in the, say, the faith boosters. I, and actually, I haven't done a faith booster in a few months because I've, I've tried to focus a bit more on the morning minutes. I'm restarting my podcast. But for instance, restarting the podcast, I've why does one want to do what one wants to do? And so there's so many people doing a lot of podcasts. Well, my thing is becoming more and more really, and it's just the vision that you mentioned, hope, hope, we need hope. And, and again, this goes in tune with everything that I've done in my life so far in terms of the way that I'm wired, the work that I'm doing globally. And so the older you get in the ministry that God has given you, the more clarity. And, and by the way, you can do work to get clarity. I've worked with people to try to figure out what is my messaging? What am I about? And ultimately, everything I teach ultimately goes back to hope. So I have that bend. And so the podcast, for instance, is really a hope podcast. I'm into interviewing people about hope and uh, different situations in life that bring hope. Now, when I go teach, you know, if there's a theme, God will lay a thing on my heart, a passage of scripture. When I do a faith booster, it's usually a verse that drives the faith booster. So I tend to be driven by the word. And... Um, you know, that's, that's it. It's not, I don't know how to make it any simpler than that. And so I, you know, and I, and I, and I usually share stuff that God is teaching me in my own life. And I think if it's impacted you, then it's, it's not hard to, you know, to let the word of God that impact others. You're not speaking a truth that you don't know. You're speaking a truth that you've lived. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that's awesome. I love that you well, said that. I think I was going to say, too, I, I, I think I've been pretty open. I think one of the things with my teaching, like I'm very open and authentic about the struggles that I've gone through. And typically God's word meets you in your struggle. And yeah. so I know, especially when I go to retreats or even when I do the little two minute videos, some of the teachings that take off of the things that I've done, like my sister is really good at getting clips, but they're, they're really born out of pain that I felt. I just don't mm-hmm. know why it's like that. But <laughs> isn't that the most powerful teaching, right? Is when you've really... Yeah hurt and God has healed you and or is healing you sometimes it's not yeah. even a place of complete healing but as you're open and saying here's here's what I'm experiencing and, and yeah. here's how God's word has been evolved to me I think people connect with that that you're you're not like some you know person who has it all together and yeah sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's I mean, I'm ashamed sometimes of the fact that I still struggle with some things that I'm still struggling with but 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 no shame because again we're there's no reason for shame in Christ and so it's not really I mean when you really think of it it's a gift that God has given us the ability to share our so authentically and not worry about any consequences because we know we're safe in him yeah and i think it like you said being vulnerable and authentic and we can't really we don't give away what we don't have so most of the things i've blogged about or written about or even done podcasts about they're things that i've learned and because of my own and i may may or may not share my story of what caused me to learn that depending on how i'm trying to honor other people that have been involved um but i love that um so you have a few books um and you have a a, you know the um thing on moody for christian singles so how did you get into um because we both minister to singles but that's not our whole ministry it's just a piece of it so how did you even get started in that you know, it's funny. I mean, you're right. You sort of like, you're, there's this 
singles ministry because you don't want to be pegged as that. Yeah. And, and the Christian world likes to peg people. Like she's the, this. She's a sexual abuse lady. She's a singles ministry on this and that. And so, but I don't think you have a choice when God calls you to do something. So back a few years ago, well, first I am single, which helps. You know, to minister singles, it helps to be single. But yeah. I, yeah. I think uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people have tried it when they're not single. It just doesn't work as well. But in general, I had lived a single life that was that sort of had a story that I would have rather not. I, I don't love personal trauma. I mean, I like <laughs> drama, you know, I like to, you like, you know, I, mean, I, I like ER because it has drama, but other people trauma. I don't even <laughs> drama. And yet, you know, I had drama. I had a couple of engagements that failed and, and I just sort of didn't see it all coming. I don't know. I just would have rather never got engaged. And how did I get to that? And, and then it was like, then I had my heart broken by my best friend. It wasn't even like an engaged guy. So it was just a baggage. And, and, um, and, and, and so Moody approached me, Moody Publishers, Back when all that had happened, the second uh, engagement had ended. I was now doing the women's ministry job. No, I was getting. I hadn't. I was teaching at the church. I wasn't doing the women's ministry job. And uh, long and short of it is, I uh, I was asked to write a book on singleness, which is really why I ever even got into singles ministry. And, and when I thought about it, my first thought was, oh heck no. And then <laughs> after praying, but then I, you know, you look at your life and you're like, God had created this story that was just. I just told my story, but within the context of First Corinthians seven. So Thrive has done well with singles for that reason, because I think it's just a personal story uh, with biblical truth. And so the Moody Radio, so fast forward a few years, now I'm asked to do like singles conferences here and there. Still not the only thing I was doing because I was a women's ministry director and really wanted to sort of keep this. I think there's still sort of an identity confusion. Many people are like, well, are you a singles teacher? Are you a women's teacher? And I'm like, look, I'm a hope teacher. <laughs> <You're gonna laughs> and so now that's like more and more my identity. But I know that um, uh, it was a few years later, I was going through another sort of crossroad in my Christian, in my ministry life. And actually I'd left the church that you and I had been a part of. And, and I, I just, it was a lot of reasons, and it was just a painful thing when I left the church. And all this to say, it, it, it was, a, I felt it was a spirit-led decision. It wasn't, I mean, I wasn't trying to be hateful. And so I waited on the Lord. And, and one of the biggest, you know, God says he works everything for good. And sometimes you don't see all the layers of it till later. And I think one of the, 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 the good things that came out of that pain is that I had really been more and more, my world in ministry was women's ministry. Yeah, I did the single mm-hmm. thing a bit, but I was still sort of, I couldn't see myself outside of women's ministry world. And the Lord sort of took a hammer and broke down that, that wall, that bucket, whatever you box that I had put around myself. And he really just used that season after that to expand that. And one of the ways that he did that was the singles, today's single Christian on Moody Radio. They came to me and ironically, I had approached them a year or two before to do like a daily, you know, couple of minutes, like Mary Welchel thing. I wanted to do it on faith. And they didn't even remember that I had approached them. So out of the random blue, somebody else at Moody had written me an email and said, Hey, we want you to do this minute. Can we talk about this? And sort of created this Today Single Christian. And again, my first response was, no, I want to do something just general. Yeah. But went home and prayed about it and realized they, at the time they had no content for singles. Half their population, listening population was single and they just really wanted to try to reach them. And it, they have given me oh, so much freedom. So I write about faith to singles, basically. And so mm-hmm. that sort of grew. And the other thing that happened in that season, by the way, just to kind of talk about this God breaking down those walls of what I had in my mind and moving me past to places in ministry that I maybe hadn't even thought of. That's when the Lebanon work, the Syrian refugee work that I do now started. And that I would have never had the time to do that. Never in my radar. I was a, in my mind, I was a Bible teacher and God was like, no, you're not just that. You're going to work with the Syrian refugees. And that has been one of the best things that I've done in my life. It's been so fun and rewarding. I love how things just kind of 
kind of evolve and happen. I mean, it goes back to if God's called you, he'll make a way. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah. how I got involved with um, Singles Ministry, I was just like you. I was just doing ministry. I was working at the time, raising money for Bible translation, working with Christian artists, and was directing that program and speaking. And But I wasn't a Bible teacher outside of like my home, like outside yeah. of Bible, you know, gatherings yeah. in my home. And when I started my ministry, I was praying and I felt like the same thing. The Lord was like, there's 50% of the population is single and mm. they need someone to speak into them. And so I created Single Matters Magazine and and from there it's just evolved, you know, and I'm yeah. not, I don't just Thank do God. that, but I, as you talk about, you're the one who brings hope. I like to, to say the foundation of my ministry is bringing freedom to people and, it, and it's not just singles and it's not just women's ministry. I have men who listen to me and, you know, married people. And, and so I think that, you and I have talked about this before when and for anybody listening, if you feel like a lot of the world will tell you you need to find your ideal client and, you know, who is your audience and really narrow it down. And um, and I think that's good in trying to help shape you, but to also be open to what the whatever God wants to do with you mm-hmm. and however he wants to, you, to use well, you to minister to people. And don't you think like it's fear, like like what I was saying before, like you think, oh, are people going to peg me? And you, you just, yeah. all, even that is like this statement of faithlessness, like God is in control of our ministries. Yeah. It's his ministry, right? And so there's so much freedom in going back to that place of like, okay, God, it's, it's you. It's not me. It's what yeah. you want. And even now when I struggle sometimes compare myself with others, or it's always like this reminder, like God's like, just let it go. Don't be so fearful and, and right. just enjoy what you have before you now. And so, yeah, what, so what? So if he wants me to just minister singles, that's what I'll do. If he opens doors to other things. And he has been so good to do that. So I've even done singles conferences in Lebanon. It's crazy. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. There are some people who only know me as the one who ministers to singles and some that only right. know me as ministering freedom and, and coaching and um, whatever. I mean, however God uses me to, to bless people, that's great. Um, I, I don't mind. Um, You know, one of the things you had brought up was the Syrian refugees and that God had put that on your heart. And I really want people to understand what you're doing over there and maybe how they could help if there's a way they could help you. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about that. So three years ago, when the Syrian refugee story was starting to to become more common to people, and actually we started doing the work there uh, in about 2000. 14-ish. So yeah, about four years ago now. And uh, the Lord just starts stirring my heart. I'm Lebanese. I'm a doctor. I have this heart. I love helping, you know, my heart is to people in desperate need. And so I've gone to Haiti after the earthquake. I loved African countries where I could go to medical missions. But it just always felt like, I don't know, I just felt like when the Syrian refugee stories started coming, there was something about it that attracted me. And I just wasn't sure. It's a humongous issue. And where do you, how, do you, how does one person help? We don't have money in the ministry. Yeah, like we're just a simple ministry. Most of the stuff we were doing is pretty free. I mean, now we've got a couple studies that have a low you know, price to them. But generally, like we weren't raising donations. It was like me and a small board, et cetera. So it just all seemed so like, uh, so just, just surreal. And so, but, but the Lord started working in this like gang and restlessness, desire to do something, not sure where it would go. So I took a couple of trips to the Middle East, first to Jordan with some friends and sort of started to understand what was happening there. And then secondly, I went to Lebanon on my own and I connected at the time. I was still thinking Bible teaching because I'm again, this narrow minded, I don't have a great <laughs> imagination. And so I it, it got in his grace. I mean, I met a publisher and got my some projects to get my books into Arabic that I had to raise money for. So I was like going to vomit. I just was like, oh, I can't believe that I have to, you know, raise money to do this. And, and God just, just 
made it happen. I mean, it was, it was it's some miraculous things that happened. That's when I started doing telemedicine, by the way. So I had this extra source of income. And so it was just a divine thing. And so, and so we went back uh, the year after I, I started the book project, went back and did a conference. And that conference was about 250 young adults that were single, half Syrians that had come to Christ, half Lebanese. And it was just a very, very powerful, people are still talking about it today. Like God just moved. The spirit of God was so, was so at work. And, and that trip, I took a, a side visit and went and visit and went to sort of explore what was happening with refugees. Well, of course, now everybody knows over a million refugees in Lebanon. So in my own country, these huge camps of tents where refugees were living. And so I knew when I went and visited that site where we now do our ministry, I knew this was our site. And there was a dentist and his wife that I was working with uh, that we were all looking for a place to do our work. And so I called them right away and I said, I found us the place. And it was just a certainty that it was like it had everything we needed to make the work a success quickly. And so I, we went a few months later, we took our first trip. We've gone six times. I think in September will be our seventh trip. So we do quarterly mission trips. We go for a week. Now they have a nurse that functions like a nurse practitioner. So she basically sees patients year round who's there. So we leave our meds when we leave and we they have community centers. So we are doing a clinic at the church building that now has a school. I mean, it's a big operation. And so we uh, do these quarterly clinics. And then six months ago, I, I, we're working with the discipleship pastor at the church. We launched what I call an adopt a family project where you can give a monthly donation and sort of, sort of like world vision, you're sort of assigned a family and you pray for them and love on them. And we have 20 families that we support now. So again, we're not a big operation. We're still functioning on people give as little as $20 to what our hope is $200 a month. So we've prayed that God will provide churches or small groups or, you know, that will do that, but it's just work. You know, I mean, I want to support 5,000 families, but God has given us 20. So we're just like, we'll do what we can with what he's given. And then a couple of months ago, my last trip there, we started this food project, which is awesome. Basically, we, we support a Syrian refugee woman who is a believer. And by the way, the Adopt the Family Project, our, our goal is to support families that are from Muslim backgrounds or persecuted for the faith. You know, all are persecuted, basically, but some are Christians. Like, we've got a couple Iraqi families that were kicked out of Iraq and persecuted for the faith. Like the, um, And then mostly, though, they're Syrian refugees that were Muslims, have converted to Christianity, and are facing some sort of persecution and have nothing. So we really just try to help support them. And then the food project is sort of an outreach project. There are families that this church has been working with, reaching with the word of God, and they do Bible studies with them. And so we, we now, uh, the woman who heads up this project is a refugee, and she basically cooks these meals and caters them. And we, I think we've got 60 families that we're feeding a month, not daily. We do it like once a week or so, I think, is the, the, the but, but still, it adds up. And so it's little pieces that add up over time. So we've got all of that on our global page. It's livingwithpower.org slash global. So you can find out about the medical stuff, and we actually raise funds for our medical trips every three or four months. And then we do the adopt the family and the feed my sheep, I called it. So it's, it's fun. It's good. So just to clarify, if someone wants to, like, what is the monthly need for to, yes. to, for a family? Our, no, so yeah, for the family, yeah. So we actually, we're asking for $200 per family. Okay. So that's like the, you know, we people can give more, but that's all because we, we don't, we, they need a family just to answer the question simply family needs about $500 to live in Lebanon. Uh, they're Syrian refugees. And that usually is a family of like 10 people. Like it's not a small family, but which is not a lot of money. We think of it that includes like food, housing, all of that. So we just, come alongside and, and help. So we don't, the church has a really good sort of balanced approach about, you don't want them to become completely dependent on you. And there's a, you know, it's just, the model is, it's very, we're very involved. I mean, 
the, these people are being discipled closely, so they're not random people. I visit them. When I go back, I visit them. I take pictures. We send updates to the family that are um, supporting them. And so it's cool. I get texts and emails from the pastor in there who's meeting with them regularly. They've got a ton of people going back and doing a lot of uh, discipleship. Even like there's a big Syrian group, you know, church, I'm sorry, the, um, the Egyptian church sends regular groups. Like, you know, we do American mission trips. A lot of times we go down to South America. A lot of the Egyptians come to Lebanon and do a lot of discipleship. So there's just a lot happening. If anybody's listening ever is interested, if you're in the medical field, we certainly would welcome uh, your interest. Uh, we're building teams more and more, but we, we try to keep the teams tight for just for practical purposes, but we're always interested in people who might want to go. So you can always email me too through the website on the contact page. So, yeah, so you partner with the church there. So as the money that you get, it's going to a church that knows the families. Right. So exactly. This is uh, the church is is well established there. And they actually, believe it or not, they actually get a ton of funding from the U.S. from groups like World Vision. But there's like when you see there's so much need like literally you have mm-hmm. a million people in like 10 churches just the ratios like oh, and out goodness. of 10 churches like five are doing work right so right. very few churches are really stepped up so now the church has grown it's still just a local church but they have like a school so so all these Good. funds like they have a 300 students that are being educated and they have community centers that include also schools in addition to in their church building they've got the medical teams coming they've got a distribution center so there's there's a ton of discipleship happening ironically the pastor who is the main head of that church, he actually doesn't get paid by the church. He's a computer engineer who's bivocational. And wow. so, yeah, we take zero. I mean, we, there's a credit card cost, so whatever percent the credit card, that's it. And then the transfer that I do uh, from the ministry account to them. So it's a very slow, but it all goes directly to the people through the church. Yeah, but we trust the church. We've been with them now a long time. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, the Lord has been, it's just all of the way it's worked out so far. We're just, we're very happy with the, with the way that God is ordained everything you know that's so great yeah you know i think people don't understand because they see everything you do or they see everything i do and they don't realize like i have a staff of one and a couple board members and a bunch of volunteers and you know i don't we don't like you are an ER doctor on the side. I'm a coach on the side, you know? So like our main thing is ministry. And then we do these other things that pay the bills. You know, this is the amazing thing about God. He uses, I mean, I know it's a cheesy sentence, but ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And sometimes the things that you're doing might not feel extraordinary. I can't tell you how often I think, man, I'm only feeding 20 families or, or 50, you know, supporting 20 families, feeding for 60 families. It's not that many compared to a million, but listen, it's everything to the one family. And I get regular stories from the church on the ground about how much, of a life life impact these gifts are having and how much they're seeing God's faithfulness in them. And then we're hearing them like paid forward. My favorite story when I was back in Lebanon in May, um, was this family, this, these people have nothing. Like they literally live in a bath, in a room the size of my bathroom. And I have a small bathroom. I'm not joking, like nothing. And they've got these two kids and I have a picture of them on the Instagram somewhere if you scroll down. And this family, like to say they have need is an understatement. And then they got, you know, the gift of the $200 and, and they don't know the details of where it comes. I mean, they know the, that they get supported from the church, et cetera. But in essence, um, they, uh, he went ahead and gave it to his unbelieving Muslim father who had faced the medical crisis unexpectedly Aww. in Syria. So he took that money literally and sent it to his father who had been persecuting him for the faith, you know, sort of like not as aggressively as he could have, but even imagine how much this gift meant to this father who doesn't know Jesus. And so God is just using these things in a way that is just awesome. And are there any uh, other stories of something you could tell us that um, would help us understand, like, not only their greatest need, but how were they relying? 
relying on the Lord? What is how is their faith in, in, inspiring well, you? This, I know it's well, you know, it's it, it's all like it's like literally another hour's podcast. Okay. Like, so there, there's no one. I mean, no, literally, there's no one who has not given their life to Jesus who does not suffer some form of persecution, right? And none of them are interested in leaving the faith. Like, mm. and, and 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 across the board, even though they're in desperate physical need, across the board, this is a global, you know, general statement. Every one of them, if you say, "What is your greatest desire, prayer request, and dream?" Across the board, it is for my family to come to know Jesus Aww. and they mean their extended family. And across the board, they're seeing it happen little by little. So I have many friends who they started off being saved and now their families, their husbands have given their life to the Lord. They're talking about being baptized or removing the hijab, et cetera. So you see this all of the time. You hear ample stories of healings. Like they're, they're a dime a dozen almost. I mean, there's constant miraculous things happening in the Middle East right now that have been spoken about a lot in Christian radio and, and are true. I mean, a firsthand report of, are true. So I think that, and you know, even... Tony, even in the money, like it's the system that the church has, like it's pretty cool. Like we have these 20 families that we support, but they don't, they haven't told them you're getting $200 a month. It's, but they give them $200 a month. Yeah. But how, I mean, everyone's in need always. And so it's like, but it's always sort of an answer to prayer or the way that God has worked it out. Like, you know, when it's time to give that gift, it's, it's not like they're coming to stand in line going, okay, where's my $200? It's not like that. It's much more fluid. And so every single month, it's an answer to prayer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like something has happened. Like, like there's a need, they pray, and then so somehow God provides it. And I'm sure after a few months, they're going to, you know, the theme is there. Like, yeah. <laughs> not, you know, but it's like the concept, again, is so this isn't about the money. This is about reliance, growing in faith, praying. And this is why now when you give a guy who has nothing, you give him $200, he doesn't say, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. I'm going to sit down and do nothing. No, it's, he says, how can I serve and give it to somebody else? Because he understands how God is going to use that to impact his father. And I sat with him. And he told me the story, like that he was prompted to tell it. Like, and so, and and there's a humility and a obedience in the in, in in the telling of the story. In my opinion, I mean, I again, I'm as jaded as they come, and yet I see a humility and an obedience in the way that they approach their life and the and the hunger for the Word of God. I've not seen in a long time how how deeply they hunger to know the Lord and His Word more. Wow. It's pretty awesome. That is so inspiring. Lena, I just, I, I know we could just go on and on and talk about so many cool things that God is doing, but I love how powerfully the Lord is using you in your ministry. And, you know, as I said, the, the two of us are, you know, kind of, we are smaller ministries, but that doesn't mean that God isn't doing amazing things. And um, so I would love all the listeners to please go check out uh, Lena's ministry, Living With Power Ministries. I will leave all of the links for everything we talked mm-hmm. about in the show notes so you can um, find that. But thank, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, it's just it's a lot of fun. And I can't believe how much ground we've covered. So thanks for having me. And we probably need to have lunch soon. This is awesome. We, we do. We need to catch up and have lunch soon. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning into the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, there's a couple things I would love for you to do. First, please subscribe to my show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed and ready for you when you are. And second, if the ministry has impacted you, would you please help me continue to reach others and leave a review? And you can click on the link in the description, and you can also give to support the show now. And you can find out more from Lena and Living With Power when you go to jillmonaco.com. Click on podcasts and her show along with a bunch of other ones will pop up there and you can find everything we talked about in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in today, my friends. And remember, love well. You are made for it.